Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 4, The Last of the Starks. We're getting at this one a little bit late, but we've had a couple days to reflect upon it, so maybe that will add new insights. By a couple days, 24 hours. One day to reflect upon. And in that one day, we've learned that this is the second worst rated episode ever. And the third worst ever rated episode was the previous episode. So Season 8 is... uh, at least to the masses, doesn't seem to be delivering so far. You know, I really get it for The Long Night. I'm. It's less obvious to me compared to all the other episodes out there that this would be the second lowest. Maybe I'm curious over time as more reviews come in, but I also think it's the end. And so people, there's no more like, well, let's see what happens next season. Well, The Long Night had spectacle which this didn't have too much of. But I will say that I was pretty deflated after the long night. I kind of just thought like, ugh, this is just 10 years of buildup for the White Walkers all to be resolved in one episode. I felt kind of just deflated. But this episode, I will say that the intrigue pulled me in a little better than I expected it to. So I'll give it that. I liked just the uh, kind of what's going to happen. Is, is Danny losing it? Is What's John going to do? What's Varys going to do? What's Tyrion going to do? It did kind of pull me in. They're wrapping up the story, and they're doing it with their own writers and themselves, and they don't have George for it. And that that's, that's the problem here, is you have really well-developed and intricate characters that a lot of that is established of the story and the characters in the first four seasons where it follows the books. And so that was just well taken care of. And I think a lot of what we're interested in is follow through of the things that started back then. It's just, you know what, it's not going to be as good without George. That's just really what we're encountering here is is that it's not just this season. It was with the other seasons too. And now that we know it's all coming to an end and this is how it's coming to an end, I think that's where some of these criticisms are coming from. It's like, that's it? That's how you were going to do that all this time? All right, but the episode picks up right where the last one left off. We got a giant funeral pyre. What I liked about this scene is I am viewing Sansa as a queen. She's the lady of Winterfell, but just for argument's sake, I see her as a queen. Danny's a queen, and so we see our two queens mourning their saviors. You know, Theon saved Sansa, and Jorah saved Danny, and they're both pretty upset as, as they're kind of saying goodbye here, and I liked the parallel process that we saw with that scene. Yeah, and Kid, Kid Harrington did a nice little piece of acting with his speech, I thought. I think he's gotten better at acting over the seasons, so that's nice to see. I also kind of looked at this scene as the death of Jorah is the death of the Danny that we knew. He's been there from the very beginning, from her character arc of being that shy, timid, lack of confidence, uh, you know, young woman to where she is now. And now that she's officially lost him, I think she's she lost her, her touch with staying on the side of sane and not being a tyrant. Well, she... Certainly doesn't seem to have companions when they're at the dinner feast or whatever. She, well, she starts off by legitimizing Gendry. And I guess a lot of people had the thought to make sure that she would have support in the Stormlands. And I guess that's a pretty straightforward way to interpret it. And maybe she truly felt he deserved it too, because he did a great thing in the battle. I think she's trying to ingratiate herself with the Westerosi lords. And even when she does stuff like that, she's she's not going to be seen or treated the way that John is. Well, yeah, they made that very clear. John is getting all the heroes welcome and everything. Even though Danny, I thought going into the long night that Danny might 
have some crazy moment where she leaves the battle or whatever, but she delivered, you know, everything she could deliver in that episode, and she's still not getting the respect that, that maybe yeah. she deserves. I felt bad for her where she's hearing people praise John for riding a dragon, and she's the one who gave birth to, raised, and has been riding the dragons all this time, and she doesn't get any such credit. And but, you know, that's life. That's how it goes. Like, there's plenty of rulers that, you know, some are loved and some are not. You can't win them all. So, like, I feel bad for her in that sense, but at the same time, it's kind of like, look, you came in with two foreign armies and basically said, hey, everybody, I'm your queen. You better accept me or I'll torch you. Like, that's also kind of what happens when you go in about it that way. And that's what she did. Right. She's also been, as she points out, she's been on the other end of that adoration. So she knows knows how it is for John. But she was there by herself. And that's another, now that Jorah's gone, she is by herself, I guess, Having Miss Sandy there, was she wasn't welcome? <laughs> I don't know. No, Miss Sandy isn't an advisor yeah. for her. But I did feel bad for Danny as she was looking around and decided to leave. And Varys got alarmed by this, which we yeah. learn later what he's thinking. Yeah, and he, I mean, he's noticing it. A big part of, of Varys and what he does is paying attention to all the details. And it was quite obvious to him that, that things weren't working out well for Danny and in comparison to John, and that's a problem. We just get the Hound and Sansa have a little reunion and reminisce about the good old days. Well, what I liked about this particular scene is it might be adding maybe a good turning point for the Hound within himself, where Sansa basically, basically tells him that because of the worst people and worst events of her lives, so Ramsay and Littlefinger here, those things help shape her to not be a little bird anymore. And maybe it's a way for the Hound to kind of look, have a different take on some of his own horrific and awful experiences of his life and be able to move forward without so much resentment and hate. Well, that was the theme of last week's episode, too, that every, everything you've done has brought you to this place now. They've been really hitting that theme quite a bit. But the Hound, or Sandor, and I say that because he was supposed to have a reawakening a few seasons back where... Maybe he's not the Hound anymore. Now he's Sandor Clegane, but he doesn't really seem all that different, except that maybe he is a little more careful. He, do- he doesn't hurt innocent people anymore. It's like the-, the longer it goes, the Hound's always been one of my favorite characters in both incarnations, but he's really, I don't know, it's just not that different. Yeah, I suspect that's a writing thing. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's what it boils down to. It's, well, I think that's what yeah. we're going to keep coming back is like, they knew that they were supposed to have this arc for his character, and this was their ability to pull that off. I like the actor. I, I, you know, that's that's not the problem. The problem is how his character is written. And yep, he's basically the exact same guy, just a little bit less bad. <laughs> so then Arya meets up with the Hound, but before she does that, she denies Gendry, who is looking for a lady to be with him. Yeah, I feel like they're just hitting this whole "that's not me" theme with her a little too much. We, we've already covered this in season one with her and Ned. We've already covered it when she sees Nymeria last season about who they are. <sighs> we get it. That's not her. Well, but it, I didn't think it was just thematic. I thought it made sense for Gendry to do that, too. So. No, I mean literally the line, that's not me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, like, they could have still done the whole scene. Just they could have written it better. It, it's almost like they're looking for all their, oh, that's an easy shot there, so I'm going to take it. Yeah. She leaves to go... Where are they going? King's Landing? I think so. She and the Hound both kind of insinuate that they don't plan to ever be back. So either they plan to die or leave or something. Are we going to see them 
as traveling companions again. There's, yeah. There's not that much time left, but... No, they're traveling companions, yeah, for they're, sure. They're kind of a fun duo, I suppose. I don't know if we're going to get much with it because we've got two episodes left, and I don't think we're going to kind of see the development of that. You know, they could have had this be a 10-season, or 10-episode season easy. The fact that they thought they could wrap this up. And I remember them being like, there just wasn't anything more to tell. And it's like... No, but you could have told it better and taken the time to do that. No, the pacing is moving at very fast speed. Even though there's only six episodes and three of the episodes have been kind of set up so far, it's still moving fast and you see that just particularly with Danny in this episode. Yeah. So Danny is basically pleading with John not to tell anyone the secret. And I personally think that she's right insofar as... If the secret gets out, nobody's going to get what they want, including John. If, if John wants Danny to be queen. Mm-hmm. The only way that this works is they keep the secret or they get married. But he wants her to be queen as the queen he thinks she is. And that's not what's here. So you're right. It's the only way to, for them to get all what they want if she weren't a tyrant. But she is. So that's not going to happen. So you're, you're jumping full on board with Danny. Mad queen tyrant Danny is here. I don't think Mad Queen is what I'll go for. That was the king, the Mad King, and and he was a tyrant, and he was mad. And he was just roasting people alive left and right and was willing to burn the entire city down. So the whole reason why he was killed by Jamie was to burn the whole city down. And that's what Danny's planning on doing. She is no different in that respect. She's just not acting crazy. Right, she's, she's not mad as in insane, but she's mad as in vengeful and angry. She's a tyrant. But she had three, if you really think about it, between Jorah, Rhaegal, and Missandei. That's all like three or four days of her biggest friends and whatever taking yeah. out her family. Now that we've had a little bit of time to think about it, I almost feel like they pushed Angry Danny so quickly on us. I agree. That it might be a, a head, what do they call it? A head snap, fake, fake oh, out, whatever. Yeah, like a uh, red herring. Yeah. That's what they're trying to get us to do. Yeah. You know, that's like they're, they're using TV tricks to get us <laughs> to not so be sure. Here's the thing. Because we've already had several seasons where things didn't come together very well. I sometimes know, nope, that's actually how they're going to do it. And, and that is my fear right now because now we're down to two left. And a lot of the ways in which they pulled this stuff together just didn't come together super well. Like last season with the whole feud between Arya and Sansa, that was so obvious to me. No way am I buying them being against each other after all that. And then it was right. Like not that I knew that it was to set up Littlefinger, but just that I didn't buy it at all. And that was kind of pushed on us. And I just, I didn't enjoy it. And so maybe other people have a different experience with it, but like, I honestly think Danny is, is not the best leader. And that's what this is all leading up to is, is we're set up from the beginning of the series thinking that she's going to be this leader. And then she's not when we finally get there. And I actually think that's a good story. I just think with what you said is correct. It's just the shift happened too fast. Head fake is the term I was looking for. That's what happens when I try to do sports terms. <laughs> <laughs> But, it's true, everyone. That is what happens. 
But yeah, it happened fast enough to where it makes makes me wonder if it's not really what's going to happen. Because even here, like, I don't think she was faking it when she was telling John, just don't tell anyone so I can have what's mine. And I remember my first thought is, what do you mean what's yours? Your whole claim to the throne of why you should have it over anyone else is because you're the daughter of the, you know, the Mad King. And, And Robert was a usurper. And so, but John has more legitimacy than she does. And at, But the way the line of succession goes, it's actually John. Right, so John, by all the laws in Westeros, is the, the proper king. And Well, she's pleading for him to not take away or create a situation that will take away what's hers. And that is such delusional thinking of the, the situation. It, it's She's taking away what's rightfully his. And your argument to me is like, well, he doesn't want it. And that's where it's like, well, no, he's, he's another Maximus from Gladiator. But their whole point, which they say in this episode, is maybe the people who don't want it are actually the best rulers. Right. Well, I think there's no doubt that John would be a better ruler than Danny at, at this point, if you've been watching. And if all. she really cares about what's best for the people, the way that, that Danny we've seen all this time, she would want that. So maybe she actually ends up seeing this and doesn't go full tyrant on us. And then she accepts that it's got to be John. But I don't respect at all what she's doing here. She is no different from everyone else that she's called a usurper. And she has no claim. And she has two dynamics going on. She has the the potential claim as queen, which we know John has a better claim. But also now she's full of vengeance mode. Or and at least they're set up for her, that. Right, yeah. She hasn't actually done anything yet. Right. But well, so that that will lead me to Varys. So Varys is reading the writing on the wall and saying this: she's about to do something bad. We gotta turn on her. Well, and, and Sansa and Arya have not liked her from the beginning. I think they've seen this as well. So it's not just the people close to her, like Varys or Tyrion, who both see it. Well, Tyrion maybe sees it. So he doesn't want to see it. The, I think he sees it. He doesn't want to see it. The people truly closest to her, Tyrion and, I guess, John at this point, don't see it. Right. Or at least don't want to admit it. But they haven't seen what she's done. They know what, like, so what she did with wiping out, you know, the Tarleys. Varys and, and Tyrion are all about that, and they knew that was a problem. But John, he, he wasn't there for it, and he finds out kind of at the end, but then they had the long night. So no one's had time to digest all this information, and she purposely didn't tell them. Well, Varys is... uh Apparently now going to start plotting against her. I guess that's what we took from that. Yeah. And that was a very... I guess Tyrion owes it to Varys to let him go. But it's almost like... But he hasn't uh, gone anywhere yet. He's standing next to Danny at that last scene when Missandei dies. Varys is? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, and he's still wearing his like winter cloak. And I was yeah. like, hey, you're back in King's Landing. <laughs> oh, speaking of winter cloak. Yeah, well, when, whoops. Where did winter go? Don't even get me started on winter. They dropped that snowflake on Jamie's hand last season for no reason. I guess it was all the Night's King. Yeah. <sighs> or the Night King. Whatever. I don't, I don't know what the proper reaction for Tyrion should have been in that moment, but Varys... I think Tyrion is fighting himself. I think he feels let down about what this has turned out to be. I think if he actually had some influence over Danny, which he should as the hand, she just doesn't listen. And that's the problem well, no, with she's the she's listened to him a lot of times, and it's almost like he's trying to mess her up. That was the point she made before. Tyrion's advice has lost her many, many things. Lost her half her armies, got maybe contributed to this dragon dying recently. It's She has been listening, I feel like, and she's been being restrained ever since she got to Westeros. 
The only time she right. doesn't listen is but when she... But the price she pays is nobody wants her to be queen. So Tyrion is actually right. And it was proved in this episode at the dinner table when no one cares about her. It's because she goes about it her non-Westerosi way. And the Westerosi people aren't going to go for that. So, I mean, I actually think Tyrion has been right. Now, I'm not speaking necessarily to warfare, but to win the people, he's actually quite astute with that. And she's losing that war. She'll just have to take it and force everybody like everybody else, and, and she's no different in that way. I guess, but we heard in this episode also that Dorne has declared for her, which we know isn't worth anything on the Well, show, because but... Dorne can't declare for Lannisters. It's by default. Well, they could just stay neutral like they've done in the past. And... <sighs> Yara has retaken the Iron Islands. I think the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I think that's where Dorne is. Yeah, I mean, Dorne doesn't matter for for anything. My only point is that, yes, she's alone up in the north, but that's not, it's not at all clear that she would necessarily be alone everywhere. There's people declaring for her that don't even, never even met her or anything. Well, she's got Dorne and the Iron Islands. Yeah, which is not nothing. What they have done is with the show is a good job of just keeping us guessing in the way that we are. So I got to give right. credit there. So yeah. sometimes it's been sloppy and clunky and whatever, but we are talking about it and we are thinking about it. And I there was a lot of Game of Thrones being played in this episode, which is one of the things I liked about it. Yeah, we're going to keep criticizing the writing for the rest of the season. Let's just say that it's not as good as what it was. It's not going to be as good without George, but if we can kind of just find acceptance that that's the case. And stick to what's still, like, there are some good things in it. Yeah, like, so there's intrigue here. It's funny because when Rhaegal got taken out with a flying arrow, I heard people complaining, like, how does a fleet hide in a from a flying monster in the ocean in the broad daylight? And I was like, well, they're behind rocks and stuff. But it shows me how far I've accepted this, <laughs> the silly writing. <laughs> yeah. Because when she first landed at Dragonstone, I was like, there's nobody in Dragonstone? And now when she's headed back there in this episode... I'm like, oh, yeah, there's nobody there. You know, of course there's nobody there. That's the way this show is. <laughs> you know, so I was like, like totally bought into the nonsensical of it. And I didn't even notice until people were like, really, you don't think that's weird? And I'm like, well, I, I don't know. Maybe it is. They went for the shock and awe element of surprise to, you know, get them taken out, which I did not see them coming. Yeah, so it, it worked. I was surprised. But when you stop and think about it for a little bit, and, and I think, it, you know, the fact that we got to this. Like, normally we do these podcasts literally within minutes after watching the episode. But, you know, here we have 24 hours. It's like, no, wait a minute. That, psst, that is quite stupid. Like, you gave a shock and awe. But that's not like Red Wedding shock and awe. That's just just to do it. You know, it's funny is that they could have modified it just a little bit and had it so Euron and them got to Dragonstone the day before and set up all the scorpions up there. Mm-hmm. So then when they were flying in, the scorpion came flying off the wall or something. Yeah. Like just a small little tweak to make yeah. it a little less silly. But that's what we keep saying. Small little tweaks still have a lot of the stuff the same if you just did a little bit better. And I guess the Dothraki were not annihilated the way it looked like. We still had some of them here. Yeah, Dothraki and Unsolid are still yeah. around. So that's good. I was glad to see that. But let's talk about Rhaegar a little more. I liked that I was caught off guard and didn't expect it. And then as I've come to sit on it for a day, I'm, I haven't decided yet if I feel like there's, it was a missed opportunity for them to have a more epic death. I, I can tell you now they did. It is a missed opportunity. Yeah. When Viserion died, it turned out he became a zombie dragon, which is pretty intense. Mm-hmm. But this was just out of nowhere, dragon gone. And it did even the odds of the two armies pretty much in one one minute period. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, ah, they could have come up with something cooler than that. 
Yeah, I, it, it could have been done better. And one of the things that I thought about uh, this episode is that John has been writing Rhaegal, which has been named after his father, Rhaegar, and yeah. how fitting that was. And they had such a short relationship. <laughs> yeah. Poor Drogon is an only child. Well, I really did think that we would see more of John riding the dragon before the dragon was killed. But um, yeah, yeah. You, that you just—that's such a majestic shot that they could have had. Well, and, and maybe this is how it was supposed to go all along. But right from the very end of season one, we're introduced to these dragons, and ever since then, they are seen as like. I mean, Westeros was taken over as an entire continent by a guy and his two sisters on three dragons. This idea of like how it's such a game changer and no one can defeat them and kind of what Bronn says, the moment I saw those dragons, I knew. And now we've lost two fairly easily. That well, it's kind of like, well, I guess they're not really that formidable of a force. Well, so I thought about that a little bit. Of course, the first one was not easily. It's just... Bad luck, he was fighting the Night's King. Well, you know, the Night's King is apparently the best javelin thrower that we've yeah. ever seen. And magic javelins. But I will say that, so we know Westeros is like 10,000 years old or something like that, right? It's really, really old. And there's almost no technological progress there for whatever reason. So these scorpions is a new technology that I just think they couldn't have fully appreciated. You know, if it's when you go on a time scale that slow, like... I, it didn't occur to me that they would have the whole castle and all the ships armed with them. And I live in a much more technologically advanced world, you know, so I don't really blame them for being caught off guard by the same weapon twice in this, given the context of this universe. Um, yeah. It just shows that all this setup for the dragons being what they are, and of the whole world, not just Westeros, right. is actually not that big of a deal. It's like... Someone talking about a bomb being like an atomic bomb and, it, and it's actually just some C4. Yeah, and Drogon is almost certain to die within the next two episodes right. as well. The dragons come back for what? Well, without them, Danny would have had nothing. That never would have gone. I, I guess over in Slaver's Bay. That's that's the biggest impact of the dragons. Yeah, Slaver's Bay has been liberated. Yeah. We don't know if it's still that way, but yeah. Right. But yeah, since they got to Westeros, the dragons have been more or less like the Unsullied were always before that. Pretty worthless. couple other things still to chat about here. One, ugh, Ghost made it, but yet John couldn't really have a nice goodbye for him here. They didn't, they didn't see it worthy of giving us some screen time of him giving a hug or nice pat. Good job, boy, for all that we've done. You go off now and we'll never see each other again. Don't they have some sort of special bond? Can't we see some sort of like goodbye? We didn't really get one there. But I'm glad Ghost made it and we still have a dire wolf. But you have a reason for thinking that that was, he went off to the north for a reason, right? I'm hoping that this is like a metaphor for this. In this episode, we saw a lot John struggle being a part of Danny's life and going down to King's Landing and ruling there, you can see he wants to be a part of the North. They make an effort to show several times that he's part of the North by, you know, like saying, you know, that he's family to the Starks and things like that. Uh, Tormund says, hey, you've got the North in you. And he's talking about the North North. So they, they're, and Tormund says he'd be happier in the North too. Yeah. And, and I think he's right. I mean, like back in like the first episode i think or the first two when you know ned gets asked to be the hand and stuff he doesn't want to go be a hand he wants to stay in the north and and i think that is john he's a, he's a northerner 
So I think we see this theme throughout the episode, and my hope of him sending Ghost, who's I take is like it's, it's John's version of dragons. You know, it's an extension of him, the way Danny's dragons are of her, and you know, it's just it's it's him having this conflict and this struggle of like I'm going against myself. I'm going to go south when I really should go north. And so my hope is whenever they conclude whatever they're going to do here for the series, and he's down there, that he's going to return to the north. He's either going to return to Winterfell. Or he's going to help be a liaison up there. But either way, he's going to go be in the north. Yeah. I think and then he'll be reunited with Ghost. I think there's a high probability the story will end with John being a wildling. Maybe, maybe not. But if he survives, I could see him just being like, I'm out. I don't want this throne. I don't want this. I'm going with my dog. And I'm going to join the wildlings. I see him as this constant reluctant leader over and over and over again. He was with the Night's Watch when he became commander. He didn't want that. He he was with kind of organizing everything with the wildlings and, and such. And then with Winterfell, when he got there, he, he didn't want that leadership. It keeps being thrust upon him. I just think that's his destiny, that he's going to be a leader. I don't see him just going off into the the northern area and just abdicating everything. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, he could land, he could be the one sitting on the Iron Throne at the end, but... <sighs> I really wish they could have shown us the reactions of Arya and Sansa when they find out that he is a Targaryen. I didn't mind that they cut away. I wanted to see that. That annoyed me. Yeah. They could just... have cut away right after that, being like... <gasps> They've just already given us a couple scenes of people finding out both sisters swear to keep it a secret, but one does not. Which I'm not surprised. No. And I'm okay with it. Yeah. I mean, Sansa told Tyrion. Tyrion told Varys. I would never tell Varys anything. I don't care how much we seem to trust him. Would uh, you tell Tyrion anything? Over Varys, probably. They're both people who are going to use it to their advantage in some way. I mean, especially Varys in some ways, but like even Well, that's Tyrion. why Sansa told Tyrion. Not, not because... Tyrion is a good secret keeper, and she just had to... But I think Sansa also believes that Tyrion will do the right thing. And the right thing is to not allow Danny to be the ruler. She's not the best one. And that's what she basically says. What if she's not the best one? She's better than Cersei, sure. But she's not the best. And and so I think she's... They've given a setup here in this season that Sansa and Tyrion have some respect and connection to one another, and not just because they were once married. Yeah, I mean, so Sansa does it to undermine Danny, either because she truly believes that Jon should be the one on the throne, or maybe more self-motivated reasons, mm-hmm. you know. But but the secret is not going to be kept. No, the secret <laughs> is out. And even they say that, Varys and Tyrion, they're like, how many people know now? Eight? That means everyone's yeah. going to know. Three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead, so... I'm happy, though, with the choice. And this is another way, and this was representative, you know, John trying to choose of the North and the South in a way, is he either was going to listen to Danny and not tell his sisters, but I believe that him telling his sisters was him choosing the North, ultimately. Yeah. Boy. I've thought about that, too. And Ned never told anybody. To keep him alive. Yeah, but now he doesn't need he doesn't need it to stay alive anymore. But this this could create all sorts of conflict and wars and everything else. So, or he could be the actual what they say in this episode the actual you know like he's the best person to unite the seven kingdoms. Yeah, but he don't want that. <laughs> well, and then the last thing we can talk about is Jamie. Well, I guess we, we 
We've got Braun. We've got James. Oh and yeah, well, yeah, that can all fit together. Braun, Braun, that stupid scene. Braun shows up. It was just kind of silly, but he negotiates himself. He's a real piece of shit in the scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he smacks Tyrion around a little bit. He he lets them know that he means business. And he negotiates himself high garden should that particular side win. Yeah, he's hedging his bets. I don't blame him that. I just wish they wrote his character similarly to when Tyrion goes on trial where he's like, look, you're still my friend, but I want what I want. Where here they just make him look like a total douchebag. And, you know, for being such a fan favorite, like, I just don't know where the context of that came from of him and all these other seasons. He's clearly, you know, a very self-centered guy. Like, that can still be there, but just basically, like, he saved Jamie's life and didn't have to. And so, like, here, just to say, like, yeah, I don't give a shit about either you two people just seemed too much to me. Yeah, but part of the reason he saved Jamie's life was to get what he was due. Like, when we watched season seven, Bron was complaining about money and how he's never been given what... They promised them and stuff, something like that. Yeah, so but it's they, a wartime. They have to actually like win at certain points for things to happen. Well, like, he says it was so much charm that you don't know if he was joking or not. We see now that he wasn't, but it comes off almost like he's just joking around. But anyways, those I don't know. Those, I mean, he's, he's got zero loyalty. Yeah, it was kind of a silly scene. I mean, it, again, it's just kind of what we keep saying. If they just tweaked it a little bit, I would have liked it better. But okay, that ties us to talking about the Lannister boys, and we get the Jamie and Brienne. I saw a couple memes and tweets of, of women writing like, oh, I've dated that guy before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, a part of me, though, like, I believe that Jamie meant what he's been doing. I think he, he and Brienne have something here. They have taken it to a place of romantic love, which they haven't before. I mean, it's there, but from afar. Where I, I think it's when he finds out of what happens that a dragon was lost and, and Masandi and all that, that he realizes that they may not defeat Cersei, but he could. He, he, she won't kill him or he thinks he's got a good shot that she won't. And so he's got to go down there and kill her. And there he's going to be the Valonqar and fulfill that prophecy. Well, this show seems like it's trying to confuse you like it is with Danny. Like, is yeah. he going there to kill her or is he going there to be with her? And because apparently he has to be all vague and weird to Brienne. <laughs> right. You know, we, we are supposed to not know. The safe money is that he's going to kill her. but I think as long as she's alive, there's going to be a part of him that's going to be drawn back to her and stuff. But like... I think he's going there to kill her, and he might die doing it. Um, but I don't think he just decided to leave Brienne to go be with Cersei all of a sudden. I think it's when he realized that they may not win, and she's got to be taken out. Yeah, they did give us enough information to wonder, though, because during his trial, he defended himself by saying he was fighting for his family and that he would do it again. He came north to fight for the living. But, like, Cersei will kill Tyrion, so he's got to pick between one of them. Uh... I don't think Cersei will kill Tyrion. She could have in this episode, and she chose not to. Not yet. I mean, that would be such an open act of war, killing the hand of the other sides. Yeah, know. I think at this point it doesn't matter. The war is happening. I think she can't bring herself to kill her brothers. Maybe, but I don't think they've developed that the way that where, you know, how Tyrion says, like, you love your children. I think she would actually kill Tyrion, for sure. Jamie, that I could... Maybe be less sure about, but Tyrion, yeah, she'd kill him. I don't know. They very clearly showed us that it was right there, and she put the hand up and everything, all the troops, they offered it, and she said no. So 
I think it's not as easy as everybody thinks. I did think that was a weird scene, though, of like, they could have fairly easily taken out Danny. Yeah. And Cersei would have gone for that. Like, Danny was not well protected there. I take it to mean that Danny and everyone in the dragon were just out of range of the scorpions. They looked a little close to me. (laughs) Yeah. But I think the idea was that they were just out of range. Okay, that's just stupid then because. You know, poor Rhaegal was directly in range then. They must have been so close for all those harpoons to get them. And yet here they were just out, but they weren't that far away. Yeah. I mean, it did look really stupid having a square of people, 20 people or whatever, standing out in the middle of the field with the scorpions there and everything. It it did look dumb. (laughs) Another thing they could have just tweaked a little bit, but... But then we would have had to watch them walk. Tyrion walked for a really, really long time <laughs> oh, to get to Kyborn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I don't, you I know, don't the know. other thing, too, I would have liked to have seen that Kyborn Tyrion meeting be a little more interesting. They're, they're the two smartest people on the show, or Tyrion is supposed to be smart. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I don't know. You surrender, you surrender. No, no. Okay. The moment that he said. Either you surrender or Masandi dies. I was like, all right, well, Masandi's dying. Yeah. And, you know, now they should have just entitled this episode How to Make Danny Go Bad. Well, yeah, like I said, she lost Jorah, Rhaegal, and Masandi all in can't be more than a week, few days. But she was already going guns a-blazing where, you know, they're, they're uh, strategizing before they all disband in the north here. And Sansa's like, you got to let people recuperate. And she's like, no, we got to go and, you know... Yeah, that was right a mistake. Yeah, likely. but it's because she's too she's too trigger happy right now and it's costing her problems. Well, but apparently or it's causing her problems and it's costing her a lot. Apparently that's the thing though. They the throne is such a such a thing like Stannis wanted to do the same thing. He felt like he had to press his claim. Yeah, that's why they all there. shouldn't be rulers and John should. Go John, team John. <laughs> all right, well, thanks for joining us. I did feel bad for Grey Worm. I felt bad for Grey Worm, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I really hope these next two episodes are 99 percenters on Rotten Tomatoes and not another 60 or 70 percenter. You know, there's a chance we got Miguel Sapochnik or whatever his name is, you know, who who usually has pretty good episodes and he's doing the next one. So he's same director as The Long Night, The Battle of the Bastards and Hard Home. The action will be good. Yeah. No question. The writing will be mediocre. The writing will be mediocre. (laughs) But we will be entertained. All right. Good night, everybody. And we forgot to say something. Go ahead. There is a scene where Davos is kind of talking about how if he ever saw Lady Melisandre again, he'd kill her. And so they do put out there this whole Lord of Light thing of like, oh, does he just disappear when, you know, he doesn't need anything anymore? And so they've introduced this whole concept that I think a lot of us as an audience is like, are you going to follow up on that and finish up more? And so, dear God, I hope so. At least least the book reader portion of the audience. Is the Lord of Light a real God? Is it just mysterious magic? But they acknowledge it here. They they actually have it. So And apparently it's going to be unexplained real magic. Well, we have two episodes left. Who knows? The night is dark and was full of terrors. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs>